Patrick Halpern, 200 Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is formerly a contributor both to Lookout Landing, that is SB Nation Mariners blog, Lookout Landing, and also Baseball Perspectives. She currently serves as the managing editor for the Harbaugh Times. It's Meg Rowley. Meg Rowley is the guest. And on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, Rowley gazes into the gauzy mists both of past and future. Gauzy mists. She looks right into them. Uh, recently, Meg Rowley collected and published the staff predictions for the 2018 baseball season. Not only do we examine those and consider what sort of futility they will reveal about the staff's ability to predict the future. However, we also review last year's predictions. And, as an exercise, I will suggest that it is not particularly useful. And yet, I will also submit that it is pleasant. Something that is useless and pleasant. Or uh, what I believe Aristotle would have referred to as an autotelic activity. I could be wrong, but I believe that's what Aristotle, the Greek person, would have said. Also in this episode, Meg Rowley considers the significance of Shoei Otani to the Los Angeles Angels, both in their near and less near future. A positive impact, I think, is what she believes that he will have. And uh, she considers the significance of Otani to the Seattle Mariners, uh, on which team he will likely have a less positive influence. In fact, it might be uh, inversely correlated to the success that the Angels are going to have over there. Also, uh, speaking of the Gazi mists of the past... Meg Rowley recalls uh, her memories of the 1990s. This is all she remembers of the 1990s. Yeah, it was not a time where people lived especially long lives. Those dark thoughts and others and what's to follow. Uh, what I will say immediately is that Fangraphs memberships exist. For a reasonable sum, readers of Fangraphs.com could support the excellent work that appears in those electronic pages. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, not entirely unreasonable, but slightly less reasonable, Readers of Fangraphs.com can acquire what is known as an ad-free membership, allowing one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the tyranny and the distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership. Only at Fangraphs.com, of course, by going there and then clicking around. Okay, uh, that is the end of almost all of the introduction. We look forward now to a conversation with Mike Rowley. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? That same Meg Rowley. And when does it begin? Right now. It might not have been specifically for this wonderful banter, <laughs> but it's a good point that uh, Miles Jones, yeah, about whom you were just speaking, yeah, prospecting the Rocky system, right? And because Rocky's mile high, miles, yeah, I miles mean, miles high. Come on, delightful. Yeah, uh, I appreciate. Do, here's our, a question. Oh, sorry, Go you ahead. know about? <laughs> do not appreciate anything. <laughs> Stop appreciating. <laughs> this is the opposite of Thich Nhat Hans general life philosophy which would be to show gratitude for nothing (laughs) (laughs) keep moving relentlessly ahead Uh, i don't uh, i get that there are conventions in headline writing yeah and uh, like i've seen i see newspapers sure uh, i see them uh, (laughs) but i don't understand why the conventions exist like why the utter interest in puns for example now listen i recognize the pun has a place in our lives but so does cancer, you know, and, wow. and it's, not, it's not necessarily a good place. But, you know, maybe there are advantages to cancer, too. 
that's what you were saying just before we got on. What is so? Tell me, Meg. What is the good part of cancer? Oh, no. <laughs> you you were you were def, you were about to defend cancer. <laughs> I, this seems like a a punishment that is mm-hmm. not proportional to to the crime to the crime of me funning yeah. me goofing <laughs> on Miles Jones's name. Miles, yeah, Miles High, Miles High. Yeah. Miles, yeah. I wonder if at one point very earnestly and in all sincerity tried to get I think it was at the time the Diamondbacks and then I also asked the Mariners and everyone said no tried to get a jersey made of Tuffy Ghostwitch but I wanted his full name on the back. <laughs> you want, not, yeah, just, the, yeah. not just Ghostwitch. I mean you got to have both. And I was informed that they didn't really do that. They didn't do custom work Who's on they jerseys, like the the team store. You oh. know, the official the official team store mm-hmm. of Major League Baseball. You could have probably arranged right for a a custom made jersey. Sure, yeah. I think what I need to do is just befriend the local name guy. You know, the the gentleman mm-hmm. that will like custom customize your jersey for you by hey, the Meg, seventh inning. I- are you bored of this Meg? topic? Yeah. No, but I just wanted to point out to you, could be a woman. Sure, it could be. Mm-hmm. No, I, no, no, no. You know, guy, if you want <laughs> I say guy because the the human person I have met who does this at Safeco, mm-hmm. who customized not one but two jerseys to have uh, Mike Zanino's name on them for me, it's fine, is a gentleman. He's a, a human man. And so <laughs> he is my reference point for this sort of thing. But you are yeah. quite right that it is it is not a, a role that is inherently gendered. Yeah. How did you know that – why did you think that the doctor was a man? Hmm. <sighs> hmm. Terrible. Hey, how do people go about – no, no, let's not let's not uh, allow facts to come between us in this conversation that <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to prompt right here. How do people go ahead and get the nickname Tuffy? I don't know. Okay, it's good. A tr- it's a terrific question. I don't know that I want to know. No. You know, it's good to have some mystery. It is. I assume that that is a nickname, right? That it is. Can't James be... Benjamin Ghostwitch is. Oh, uh... that's so much worse. I'd go by Tuffy. Yeah, also. well, it's you know, it's what ha- I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if Ghostwitch is English, but James. Benjamin is um, doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms yeah. of the Anglo's and the Saxons, I guess. <laughs> On both scores. Mm-hmm. Good job. And then uh, and Tuffy Rhodes was Carl Derrick Rhodes. So they did not share any other names in common besides Tuffy. And in the early days of baseball, there was a Tuffy Stewart, mm-hmm. and he was Charles Parnell Stewart. Charles Parnell. Yep. So there we go. Yep. Those are, that's the... Uh, oh, he met a tragic end. He died quite young. Poor Tuffy. Hey, Roy. Hey, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. What do you think it was the cause of death on Tuffy's story? I don't know. He, he. Uh, let's see. He died in 1926, this Tuffy Stewart. Do you think the early 20th century was the cause <laughs> yeah, of death? I think uh, it was not a time where people lived especially long lives. No. So maybe he, he got influenza, though that was not one of the influenza years not one of the bad ones you could have no maybe some sort of pox is another possibility sure carson baseball is back what a lovely thing there it is hey you've attended to my knowledge you have attended no fewer than two mariners games already that is correct i went Mm -hmm. i went to opening day when felix pitched against Mm -hmm. Corey kluber and and won somewhat improbably I think this is an instance maybe right where if one were to consider their fielding independent numbers in a vacuum, for example. Yeah, 
Those guys are trending in different directions. They are, right. And Kluber might have put up the more impressive game, but... Uh, he did. For that particular game, the, the runs, uh, in terms of run prevention, Felix Hernandez prevailed. He did. It was an encouraging... You know, as a person who is still sort of ostensibly a Mariners fan, and I, I just... Mostly I prefer it when they win. And it makes mm. me sad when they lose, so I guess that means I'm still a fan. It was encouraging to watch. I think this is the way that that Felix is going to need to go about his business this year if he's going to return to, well, maybe not form, but, you know, find sort of a new efficacy in his current self. So I think he's threw around like 80, 85 pitches. He, he quick pitched the guy. Uh, he, got, he got. Is that something he's traditionally done, or is that no? A, it's okay. a new thing. He do, he did it once in spring, and you know, notable enough that like I remember that he did that, <laughs> right? Right, right? But yeah, he got he got Bradley Zimmer to strike out, quick pitching him with a with a changeup. So that was that was uh, new. But he he was he was a little wilier, had a bit bit of craftiness to him. Uh, which, you know, I think is going to be what he needs to do uh, if he's going to succeed for them this year because, you know, velocity continues to not be what it once was. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. And then on Sunday, I went I went again and watched Mike Leak pitch and and watched D Gordon hit a home run. Okay. And uh, watched Edwin Diaz be much uh, more sort of comfortable and effective uh, mm-hmm. in his closing duties. So it was, it was nice. It was a good It was a good day. It was a cold day at the ballpark, but it was a good day. Yeah, I think I might have tuned in just to, for a moment because I watched a little bit of Mike Leak. Mike Leak, what an athlete. You know, he is such an athlete. He's a good athlete, yeah. I messaged uh, one Eric Loggenhagen during his start to say that exact thing because he, uh, he fielded his position quite well. Now, let me ask you a question. You were uh, at the game. Mm-hmm. Started by Mike Leake and also the one Felix you mentioned. What do you feel like you can see at a game? For you, all right, this yeah. is, all right, I'm going to, it is often said that there are no dumb questions. False, there are, and I'm about to explore some of them. <laughs> um, but I like to get to first principles sometimes on this particular matter. I Allow me, uh, immediately I will, I will show you my hand and then I invite you to... I don't know, say that my hand is dumb um, <laughs> or, or beat it with whatever your hand is. However, I am probably, at least certainly among the people in my fingers, I might be among a minority of people who do not actually particularly care to attend Major League Baseball games. Mm. And part of it comes from being cheap because I feel like I want to be close to the action. But of course, to do that in a Major League stadium, you have to pay quite a bit of money. You mm-hmm. could. I mean, I am, for example member of the baseball race association so like i have the ability to get close to the game but it doesn't it doesn't feel authentic it doesn't feel sustainable because i know that i will be kicked out of the bbwa at some point <laughs> and probably not in the very distant future whereas at a minor league game for example the ticket prices are much lower and you can get closer obviously the quality of play is not quite as high but it's sure. perhaps compensated for by the fact that you're seeing stars of the future hmm. and what what sort of better star is there than a star of the future. Well, if you're a Mariners fan, you would like some stars in the present. Stars but I take pr- I take your point more broadly. Stars, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so what is your argument? And it, it could just be because I like it better. That's fine. <laughs> uh, but like, what is for you? What is the draw, at least, of of the Major League Baseball game? I don't think that's a stupid question at all. I like to do both. I think it kind of depends, like what you're trying to experience that's your question but you know there's there are pros and cons to both things i think Mm -hmm. early in the season 
you know, that's a, it's got a nice feeling to it to be in the ballpark with the energy. You know, everybody's happy to see each other again. Fans are, are invested still. The team's, you know, trying pretty hard. So there's, there's like a good, a good will about it that I think makes me continue to like baseball just as a general enterprise. One thing that I appreciated, I was sitting, I went with a, a friend of mine and we were sitting in the view level on the first base side. And I, have been really interested to see how D Gordon's conversion to center field is going. And for that sort of thing, I think it's really nice to be at the ballpark rather than relying on whatever what angles. Point. What know, a great point. Oh, Hey, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So it was nice to be able to watch him and uh, be kind of high enough up that you could get a real sense of like how the routes were going and what jump he was getting and that sort of thing. But as a person who also really is interested in and enjoys pitch framing, I often prefer watching the broadcast because then I can actually watch the catcher and sort of see, see what he's up to, see what he's trying to do. And, you know, it's this time of year, it's cold. So being at home is nice. <laughs> yes. You could be cozy. But yeah, it was it was great fun to to get to sort of see D Gordon in person and uh one of those times where being not super inclined to spend money on seats close to the dugouts was actually somewhat advantageous cuz you get a much better perspective on the outfield from high up. So, that was that's sort of my argument. It really just you should think about what you're trying to see. I like going to minor league games, but I like going to them with very specific company. Like it's fun to go to minor league games with people who know prospects well so that I can be annoying and ask them questions about what they're looking at and what they're looking for because, you know, they know things I don't. So it's fun to learn about them. If it makes you feel better, Meg, you're annoying even when you're not asking those type of questions. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) It transcends uh, simply um, that. I aim for consistency, you know. There you go. Yeah. Uh, D. Gordon. Yeah. I am interested to what you saw. He, I don't know if you noticed, but he, uh, Travis Sotrick published a post um, in which he contended that perhaps D. Gordon was out of position until now. Yeah. And he built that argument in part on the fact that D. Gordon is very fast. And uh, yes. The only three players, I think, who ranked above D. Gordon last year in terms of sprint speed you know, uh, provided by baseball savant uh, were all, they were all center fielders, Byron Buxton, Billy Hamilton, Bradley Zimmer. That's the list, the complete list of players who ranked above D. Gordon by sprint speed in 2017. Travis Sacek presented this to D. Gordon as a positive. So look at, you have this excellent trait. All these other players are center field. You should probably do well in that position too. If I could just read the excerpt from Sacek's piece. He said, uh, when this reporter notes the speed-related data, Gordon scoffs. I don't believe that, he says. I don't believe that stat cast. Someone for real made that up. Someone who cannot run made up that stat. And then and then the, Sacha continues, what? Doesn't Gordon believe a measure that verifies his speed? Uh, actually, that's not the point at all. Gordon clarifies, I'm faster than everybody. <laughs> and also the most humble. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's uh, I thought that was funny. That he was <laughs> so very confident in um, his foot speed. But um, I think there does seem to be. I mean, so that was the thing with like moving Billy Hamilton to the outfield, right? Right. Is I think that there's really actually not a lot of dissent on the quality of Billy Hamilton's arm. I think he has a decent arm. 
Mm-hmm. It's certainly his range, and 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 I think you could make a case pretty easily that a player with that kind of those kind of natural talents, maybe it does make sense to put him in the outfield first. It was you know probably Billy Hamilton's hands were were the problem, but it, he, it seems as though he's much more valuable in center field than he ever could have been at shortstop. And I have to think that Dee Gordon could very well benefit from a similar advantage. Oh yeah, I mean I. I liked that acquisition quite a bit when they did it for all of those reasons, right? Which mm-hmm. is that, I mean, it's not to say that if you're super fast, you're necessarily going to be great in center. I mean, a couple of years ago, the Mariners employed a young man by the name of James Jones, mm-hmm. who is now back to pitching, I believe, for the Rangers. Well, I think he had Tommy John, so he's probably still rehabbing. But anyway, he was very, very quick, although, you know, we don't, I don't think have Statcast measures on his speed because I think that was before the the vaunted Statcast era. But he mm. was quite terrible in center <laughs> a lot of oh, the time. Yeah. yeah, and so and you know kind of noodly armed, so that was a problem. But also just ran, you know, got bad jumps, ran really bad routes. So there was it wasn't as if there was no risk involved in in moving him, but you know it seemed like the sort of thing that a a front office that had a particular budget that they had to stick to and maybe didn't feel confident that they could acquire or pay a center fielder proper could do something creative with a guy who had the potential to to do one of the things that's the most important part of that position really well. And, you know, on Thursday, on opening day, he had one moment where, you know, he kind of he started a little late and he got... Uh, he let a ball drop in front of him and I think a run ended up scoring but so you know there are going to be little bits and bobs that aren't great because he's still adjusting but I've been quite impressed with how good he's looked out there how clean and efficient the the routes have been I've been particularly impressed with his arm which I I don't know why I thought it would be worse than it is I guess well, probably because he was moved, yeah, and he was moved off short, right, in part yeah. because of that. So, yeah. yeah, it's been quite a fun experiment, and he's, you know, he's one of those guys that's got a, a very sort of cool personality, he seems to love playing baseball, and despite the fact that when they traded for him, they did so knowing they would move him to the center without really telling him, he seems to have taken to it and to quite enjoy being being a Mariner. So that's fun, too. Yeah. But yeah, he is he is fast. He is quite speedy. It is really very cool. I wonder what it feels like to be that fast. It's probably great. <laughs> Especially if you're a major league baseball player. <laughs> yeah, I would assume all things being equal. You'd rather um, be fast. You probably would rather be fast, right? Although yeah. people might ask you to do a bunch of favors, maybe. Hey, could you uh <laughs> could you could you run down and grab me uh grab me a soda? Sure, but think about the favors he's being asked to do versus like Daniel Vogelback, you know, he, uh, D. Warden has to go get you a soda, but mm-hmm. Daniel Vogelback has to help you move. That's, that's true. That's a lot more work. It is. It's true. It plays to D. Gordon's advantage. If you start inviting him to help you to move, he can run away before you're done with the question. Sure. D- Dan Vogelback he, can't do that. Yeah. No, he's just like, oh man, I keep lifting these boxes. I'm already strong. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you offering pizza and beer at the end though? I mean, you have to do that. You have to do that. Although I think that you do get to a point in your life where you're like in your 30s and probably mm-hmm. should stop imposing on your friends in that way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
Yeah, no, I think there's a place. There's a yeah. There's actually a great service. This is not helpful uh, in terms of realm of baseball analysis. However, a a PSA. If you move with you all, you know, you can hire an independent contractor. Sure. Both sides of your move, pack up the van, and and that way you don't have to pay the moving company to do the driving, which is the part that most people with a driver's license can do themselves. Yeah. That is the most efficient way to move, I believe. Well, now we know. Now we do know. Got to the bottom of it. Very good. Uh, you know, never, uh, despite the fact, Meg Rally, that you probably care most in your heart about the Seattle Mariners, when tasked, I guess by yourself, with predicting the top teams in the American League, yes. predicting the various division winners, wildcard winners, and not just those, but the award winners for that league and the National League, uh, you did not include the Mariners among your picks. I did not. Yeah. You did include two of their division mates. One of them, Houston Astros, as a division winner, which was a popular decision. Very popular decision. In this exercise that you've facilitated. And then the Angels as well for the wild card, which I think was somewhat popular as well. Yeah. So you don't care. You don't necessarily like their odds of winning. No, I don't, especially. I think, you know, the part of it that is... They 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 find themselves in this sort of unenviable position of being right in the middle. You know, I think that I may have shifted a little bit, but I think that when we did this exercise, we at Fangraphs had them, I think, projected to be a perfectly 500 team. Now it looks like we have them perhaps a touch under 500 in terms of our expectations or our projections expectations. And they're they're pretty old you know, as a roster goes, yeah. and you're already starting to see that various folks are a little dinged up, and it's, you know, very young season so far, but, you know, when people are in their 30s, sometimes, like, their hamstrings don't work quite the way they want them to, or they, yeah. you know, twist an ankle. Mm-hmm. So it just, and they have nothing, they have really very little in the farm system. You know, I think when, when Eric did their list, they had, what, like, 13 <laughs> prospects or something. I believe it was not the, it's not the longest of them. No. I mean, it's usually a decent proxy for for depth, if nothing else, but usually overall quality. Yeah, so it's it's not a good system. So the, the things that we might think of as, you know, helping to sway their chances to outperform those projections just aren't uh, aren't there, right? And you can expect that they'll continue to be a little a little bit hurt. They'll mm-hmm. just keep getting older because that's the how... direction people go, isn't yeah, it? That's how aging works. And they're not likely to get any assistance from uh, from their minor league teams. I think they, you know, as, as all teams do are sort of have announced their rosters for minor league opening day and, you know, some discouraging things like they're, they're starting Andrew Moore in double A Arkansas. He's not even in Tacoma. You know, he's one of their, I don't know if better, but certainly more prominent pitching prospects who pitched a little bit. I guess he's still prospect eligible, pitched a little bit in the majors last year. Now he's in Arkansas. So I, I don't expect them to do much except be kind of stuck in the middle but who knows? Maybe they will surprise. If if D. Gordon proves to be a very capable center fielder, that might be one way that they could do that. So Hey, when you I don't know if you caught any of Shohei Otani's starts or the highlights from it. I did not. I have it on my list of things to to do okay. today to try to watch his his innings because I yeah. was sad to have missed that. Uh, yeah, but uh, did you did you hear it all about how well he pitched? You know, I heard it went pretty well. Yeah, I heard, and it, it, it actually even looked better than it went. Yeah, and I I heard 
you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, Carson. I heard that the fastball played up quite nicely. He had very uh, he had good good velocity on the fastball. Oh yeah, he threw it pretty good. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. So when which is which is uh, you know I wonder if in terms Ota- of speed it, it was, was good. good. Yeah, that's so great to hear. I wonder if he was playing a little trick on us all spring because when I was down in Arizona for spring training, I had I had the pleasant experience of watching him pitch a backfield game with with Eric and. Shohei Otani was sitting sort of ninety two to ninety five, mm-hmm. and I heard he he did quite a bit better than that in his in yeah. his start, and that the sort of secondary stuff was still quite good, which was true on the backfield day, even though his fastball command and velocity were both pretty wanting. So you know, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> good for the Angels. The data that we have in now suggests that he probably went ahead and recorded this second highest average fastball velocity of all the pitchers who started so far. Cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so like I'm saying cool in a sarcastic way that makes you doubt that I mean it because mm-hmm. I you am a Mariners it. fan, but mm-hmm. it it is a very neat thing that it's a neat thing. It's good for everyone when... Uh, like, you know Noah Syndergaard? Do you know him? Yeah. Not personally, but <laughs> yeah, right. But you're aware you're familiar sure. with him. Like, yeah. you, like, what's like one thing that Noah Syndergaard's famous for? Like, especially with regard to his fastball. Like, what's one thing his fastball is famous for? Being very fast. Being super fast, right? Yeah, quite. And guess fast. what? Shohei Otani's was faster. Oh, great! <laughs> it's gonna be a real fun thing to yeah. be a Mariners fan with yeah. the Astros continuing to be themselves yeah. and the Angels having Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. I yeah. imagine it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, can't do much about it, can you? They didn't consult you before they made all their moves. No, either and, team, and they they gave it the old college try. Mm-hmm. But even if you took the best college team and pitted them against a major league team, they'd probably lose, wouldn't they? Yes, we learned we learned that that happens quite frequently. In fact, uh, in in a post by by Jeff Sullivan, Jeff Sullivan, yeah, past week, which I thought was a, an interesting uh, little post. Yep, exactly how I would characterize it. Hey, listen. Question: You yeah. you facilitate as I noted. You facilitated these uh, these predictions. Did you uh, extract any lessons from this exercise? I guess what I really mean is from how Fangraphs writers predicted things. But I suppose if you if you, <laughs> you came across any other life lessons, you feel free to reveal those as well. I learned. I don't know that I took away any life lessons. I was very pleased and impressed by how many people participated with very little reminder, which is mm-hmm. good because you know when you have group work. Often you have to bug people a lot, and I didn't really have to do much of that. I also was impressed because it's sometimes easy to forget these things that there were very few people who picked rookie of the year winners who were no longer rookie eligible. Uh, very little of that. So okay. good job, team. Way mm-hmm. to go. But I think you know the the big takeaway from from this is probably how how sort of top heavy both leagues feel right now. You know there was very little. I, I think. There were a couple of people who sort of picked interesting potential spoilers who, you know, don't seem likely, but do seem interesting. Mm-hmm. Very few sort of insincere picks in that regard, but a lot of the same, a lot of the same stuff, you know, everybody thinks that the Nationals are probably going to the playoffs. Everyone is a believer 
in the Astros and and the Yankees and and so on. So there there's not a lot of variability there, which is a bummer, but often doesn't play out quite that way. I mean, if you recall 2015 as a as a baseball year, Mm-hmm. I think there was sort of similar expectation that we knew exactly what was going to happen before it played out. And then there were a lot of things that were really different than we thought they would be. So what happened in 2015? Well, it's funny that you should ask that. <laughs> so now I have to, I've said that and now I have to remind yeah, myself. I don't, I, I so don't like, remember it distinctly, but I'm, uh, did the, uh, what did the Royals do that year, for example? They, they, it turns out they won the World Series that okay, year, all right. which so was that's, that, that wild. Was, yeah. That was the year, for instance, that among, so we, I think everyone expected that year that, like, for example, the Boston Red Sox would be quite good. I was not at Fangraphs making predictions that year, but I was at Baseball Prospectus, and I think the overwhelming majority of the staff there picked the Red Sox, and then they finished in last place. You know, people thought that the Royals would maybe be a, a wild card team, and then they they won the Central. So you know, there were there were some surprises. I think that was a year that the uh, the Nationals, I, I think, missed the playoffs entirely. Right? Yeah, that was reasonable. Yeah, I'm that was. To believe you. That was a uh, that was one of those years because uh, the the wild card teams were the the Pirates and the Giants. Nationals didn't didn't make it at all, and they were predicted to win that division. So sometimes you have years that turn out to be kind of funky. So maybe we'll have a funky year, but I'm not confident. Last year, in last year's predictions, mm-hmm. uh, Fangraphs writers suggested that the Red Sox would win the AL East. What happened? That that is what what happened. That happened. Yeah. Uh, Cleveland would win the Central. What happened? That also happened. That happened. <laughs> Astros would win the West. What happened? That did also happen. That happened, yeah. Toronto would win the number one wild card. Yes. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. That was wrong. Yeah, and then the Yankees would win a wild card spot as well. That did happen, though. That did happen. That part was right. So good job, Fangraphs. That did happen. And yeah. who do we think... If you had to guess who won the other wild card spot, would you say it was the Twins? It was you probably the Twins. Should. You yeah. probably should say it was the Twins. They received zero votes. Right. Right. So the Twins, I think you'd have to agree the Twins were the great surprise. They were a great surprise. Of I mean, the American League last year. Yeah. And, and you know, people get kind of savvy, right? So last year, just to make the postseason generally without sort of picking a particular spot, mm-hmm. you know, 28 of those voters thought that the Mariners would go. And... I'm here to tell you, Carson, that that did not happen. No? No. <laughs> Didn't. Sad at You're reporting on the, the front lines <laughs> of history from six months ago. Oh, lordy. Hey, uh, let's see. Uh, could we do this the same thing? I, this is, uh, I like to do this. Same thing for the National League. You ready? Yes, I'm ready. What, uh, uh, NL East, Washington Nationals. Yeah. That happened. It did happen. Chicago Cubs Central, NL Central. Yeah. That happened. Yeah, didn't so it? So these, these generally are right. At least they were last year. Yeah. Angels. That no, did. no, sorry. Sorry, the Dodgers. Dodgers, in, in yeah. West. What happened? They won. Okay. They, won, they didn't only win. They won 104 games. So many games. Not a lot of games. Uh, and wild went to card, the World Series. Wild card Mets? I don't think the Mets did that. They did not do that. Wild card Giants? Didn't happen either. In the Mets defense, like they were basically dead by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Which isn't funny at all. No, but was, no, 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 no. But is the sort of thing that you kind of have mm-hmm. to, uh, as someone who roots for a team that also had significant injuries to pitchers, you have to sort of laugh at just to not cry. So Death, typically not funny. No. On the other hand, counterpoint, weakened at Bernie's. <laughs> right? 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. Do you think that'd be a hard acting job? Yeah. If to play uh, play the dead fellow from Weekend at Bernie's, <laughs> I, I would imagine as someone who well, this will probably not surprise you, having podcasted with me and met me in person. The idea of not talking mm-hmm. for that long is something I can't relate to. No, yeah. <laughs> quite con- quite confused by that as a as a thing that that anyone could do. <laughs> do you know that uh, the actor who played Bernie in that, Terry Kaiser? Do you know that he was actually like a famous Shakespearean actor? Is that true? No, it's not. (laughs) But he did actually attend the actor studio. It turns out. You know, did you ever did you ever watch that show with at the actor studio inside the actor studio? Yeah, with old James Lipton there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I loved I loved inside the actor studio. I don't know if Mm -hmm. it's still on. I don't have cable, so I can't watch it. If it is, you were telling me that the favorite episode of yours, and it remains your favorite to this day, is the one with Kevin Spacey, your favorite actor. Despite what anyone says. <laughs> True? <laughs> Why are you denying him, Meg Rowley? Because it's true. Okay. Now, that guy's name was Terry Geyser. He, he was a member of the actor studio and uh, perhaps knows James Lipton very well and might even think that Kevin Spacey is a great actor. But I think that might be the role of his lifetime. Did you know that James Lipton's father was like a, a Venice Beach beatnik? Mm-hmm. Which is and very- his grandfather was a was a tea magnate. <laughs> oh boy, I just like hearing people talk about their process. As it turns out, this is why I like uh, director commentaries on DVDs, mm-hmm. even though it's a very weird way to to watch a movie. Uh, but sometimes they do anyway. Was it Pliny or Seneca or neither of them <laughs> who said that one ought to read much but not many? As in, you should. Uh, Read few texts, but read deeply of those few texts. Uh, that sounds like something Seneca would say. Yeah, sure. that's totally Seneca. It's tote Seneca. <laughs> uh, hey, who hey. won those? I said uh, I said uh, Mets and Giants. Neither of them won a wild card. Who? Who do you think it was? Does it feel? Does it feel to you like it was the Rockies and Diamondbacks? It does. Yeah. That is what it feels like. And and uh, Fangraphs writers this year mm-hmm. in on the Diamondbacks. Mm-hmm. Out on the Rockies. <laughs> I this is gonna be this is a good ESPN bit we're putting together right here. <laughs> Last year, staff prediction: AL MVP Mike Trout. Every, very very reasonable. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think um, you know this year people just sort of operated from the perspective that like there's no reason to doubt that that Mike Trout is mm-hmm. still the best player in baseball, and so until we get something that tells us he's not. I think uh, most staff members were comfortable voting for him. It is sort of insane and amazing to remember that even though he missed like what a whole month basically with uh, with the thumb injury last year, that uh, mm-hmm. he still he still was good for almost seven WAR. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, Altuve and uh, and Judge, of course, the two notable finalists for last year's MVP award in the American mm-hmm. League. They combined for only four votes among our staff this year. Mike Trout uh, is the runaway winner. Yeah. I was surprised. I'm looking at this post now and wishing that I had um, done a better job sorting this table than I did. So I'm glad to get to revisit the the AL MVP table and be irritated that I guess it's in order. Never mind. I take it all back. I think that people maybe expect the judge will, uh, you know, regress a little bit and be a little less good. Yeah. There's a little bit of swing and miss in this game. Just a touch. Uh, last year's Cy Young top two finishers uh, among the predictions: Chris Sale and Corey Kluber. Yep, they were actually the top two finishers. And Andrew Benintendi 
runaway winner in terms of the predictions of the AL Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Yeah, the the staff didn't really see Aaron Judge Aaron or Judge. Cody Bellinger coming, really. I think uh, I don't. I'm trying to remember who the predicted. Oh, last year it was oh, Dansby thought, Swanson. Oh, that didn't work out at all. No, things were similarly poor for Robert Gesellman. Uh, Manuel Margot had a fine year. Uh, it was yeah. fine. Yeah, that was yeah that was last year. So it, it didn't work out too well. Uh, let's see. Last year NL MVP Bryce Harper. He did not win the MVP. He did not. Award. It was Giancarlo Stanton who received only two votes out of a possible, I don't know, 50 or something. I think it was like 56, 56 maybe. Yeah. Um, 50 plus. Cy Young, Clayton Kershaw was injured, therefore did not win it. Noah Syndergaard was injured, therefore did not win it. Yeah. Who did win it, do you think? Uh, Who won the Cy Young? Yeah, NL Cy Young last year. In 2017? Yeah, who, who would you guess? Uh... <laughs> Max Scherzer is the answer. I know. I yeah. picked him to win again. Yeah. I enjoy watching him pick. Received zero play. votes last year. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem possible. And uh, Dansby Swanson, seem... as we said. Okay, yeah. so those are all those. Uh, I guess what? Uh, it seems as though in the team level, I would, if I were to extrapolate from one year's worth of data, it seems as though maybe the team level was a bit easier to predict. Yeah. And perhaps, as you note, given the top-heavy nature of the league right now, that might uh, that might not be so surprising. Yeah, I mean, I think that when uh, I'm not surprised by that because there's there's often a guy who will sort of randomly outperform. I mean, it won't be random; it'll be the result of you know hard work and planning and and mm-hmm. and clean living. But um, mm-hmm. you know, it's not unusual to get one guy who sort of has just turns in one of those fluky, amazing years. But having a team dramatically outperform you know that's a bit it's a bit harder to line that stuff up and get you know multiple sort of breakaway performances well that and uh, perhaps you can also or a club could also benefit from the uh, the vagaries of run distribution sure um, absolutely that happens as well but yeah but um or other people being injured or mm. you know a lot that can happen out there meg yeah it's all like it's just so much baseball (laughs) There's so many things in a so baseball in a baseball season. We have yep. it every day now. It's so nice. Yeah, we do, Meg. There it is. Yeah. Do I have anything else to harass <laughs> you about on that front? Uh, well, let's uh, um, tell me. <laughs> but yeah, as I said, you facilitated the predictions post. I did. Um, so you developed some familiarity with that. Uh, you were also responsible for participating in positional power rankings and producing the second base post. Yeah. And uh, much as you might have come away with two kinds of lessons from uh, your work with the predictions post, one of the sort of um, one the uh, ability to sort of categorize the league in, in a sort of way, it's, it's possible that you've done that for second base. It's also possible you've learned a life lesson from having worked on the positional power rankings. Yeah, I learned that it is important on something like that to give yourself at least 10 hours more time to do it. Than you anticipated. Yeah. I mean, the person who really suffered the most in my failure to appreciate how long it would take was you. So I'm sorry for that. Yeah, I don't know if that, that was, um, I don't think my. You don't, don't think, you I, don't think you suffered? I don't think it was considerable, no. I mean, I wasn't like actually late on no, you did fine. getting it to you, but I, I could have, I could have gotten it to you sooner. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Lesson learned for next mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. I learned that, you know, it's it's a fun 
if we want to talk about it from a positive perspective, it is for me a fun writing challenge because it's the same sort of thing. You know, it can be a little, it can be a little the same Mm -hmm. over and over. Uh, And some of the conclusions are really obvious. Like, you know, Jose Altuve is pretty good. So that's cool. So it is a, a good writing challenge to to try to make the text feel alive and and Mm -hmm. and interesting for for readers so that part was good from a more sort of actual baseball perspective you know i think that this position might see a lot of change in its rankings if we were to sort of redo that exercise halfway through the year because unlike in some prior years where you know second base has been largely dominated by very good veterans there are actually some really interesting young guys floating around at the keystone as it were uh (laughs) and so i will be very you know if we can bring ourselves to stand it i think it might be worth redoing this or looking at it again in in july to see how much things may have shifted you know especially for some of the younger guys where their projections might be a bit more conservative because they're you know they're young we don't have a lot to go on there because I think that you you might see some some of these move around quite a bit. Yeah, are you thinking in particular of for example like with the with Atlanta Ozzy Albies Albies? Yes, he he is one that I think uh, will be interesting to watch. Although you know, two two wins for him is not a that's not a terrible projection. Sort of middle no, of the no, road. No, 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 no. I could see I could see that moving around. You know, um, I will be very curious just generally from a roster construction perspective to see what the Phillies do, because of course when we wrote these and had published them. Scott Kingry had not yet received his extension and had not been uh, for sure promoted to be on the roster. And both of those things are true now. So I will be curious to see what the Phillies do because, you know, Cesar Hernandez is is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have to do anything to, to move him, but they, they might feel compelled to just because they're quite keen on, on Scott Although maybe maybe uh, Hernandez can pitch, and then uh, and then old Gabe Kapler would have someone someone else to play play around with in that bullpen. He's so keen on. Kingery now has uh, made three starts, I believe. And that seems right. He has made them at third base, one at third base, one at shortstop, and one at left field. Yeah. And from what I understand, now I I suppose uh, at least for me personally, the start at shortstop was a bit surprising. However, this is I think it does appear to be to some degree that the way in which he's going to be utilized is is as a I mean I don't even know if you'd refer to it as a super utility man. It's it's not unlike maybe how I guess like Javi Baez has been used with mm-hmm. the Cubs for example, or, I mean, other of their young players too, like Ian Happ has jumped between the outfield and second base. Chris Bryant in particular during his rookie season was used, what, a lot in left and in third base. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a manager, it seems it seems really ideal to have someone with a pretty high offensive floor who has yeah. the capacity to play so many positions and is sort of in a position in terms of uh, like veteran cachet or lack thereof that he doesn't necessarily expect the guarantee of of playing a single position right and might be might be comfortable moving around quite a bit right you're kind of like as the manager you're like well we're kind of we're doing you a favor you've never played in the major leagues before right so yeah you can you can stay here but you have to you have to play all these positions yeah i i often wonder if we give that sufficient weight in terms of value uh, for teams to to have that 
versatility in field to outfield and have guys who are sort of competent enough on both sides of the ball that they can they can do that and it doesn't it doesn't kill you it's actually an asset so be curious to see how he is deployed yeah and i think actually it's like might be one of those things that that does come out on the team level, you know, if you, yeah. if you look at how things are arranged at the end of the year, but attempting to integrate that into evaluation of a player. Sure. You know, if from the, from the point of view of, I was actually just talking with David Appleman and he was saying that one way he had sort of conceived of, of Fangraphs, and I, this is instructive for me, I had no, I never heard it articulated this way, was as kind of like as the, the 31st front office mm. in the league, right? And I think that that makes sense in the, in the context of a lot of work that has appeared at the site. Sure. But if you were, if, I mean, if Fangraphs were the 31st team, or if you could imagine the 31st team, and you had to come to some conclusion about how much you thought Scott Kingery is worth, you'd have to integrate the fact that he could play multiple positions. Mm-hmm. And I, I suppose the question is, you know, what methodology would you use? I, I have to assume that there's been some research done on this, but I don't think there's been sufficient research, probably because each case is so specific to the actual club. I'm, Sure. And, you know, I think sometimes you see the greatest, like you derive the greatest value there. I wonder if you derive the greatest value there, like, you know, when you have, when the injury bug hits and all of a sudden you don't have to bring up a guy from AAA who, you know, probably is in AAA for a reason, but rather you can just shift someone, you know, into a position they're comfortable with and, you know, you know what you're getting from the bat and it's it's sort of fine. So I, I wonder, like, you know, something were to happen to Cesar Hernandez tomorrow, well, Scott Kingery would just start at second. I mean, it's his sort of natural position anyhow. And presumably the Phillies would get some benefit from, from not having to worry about calling someone up who isn't as good, you know? Yeah, the uh, the Phillies in the prediction post that you that you did, the Phillies actually received some votes. I don't know, maybe like eight wildcard votes or something yep. along those lines. I might have been responsible for them, although I can also say I don't recall, and that's also fine. But I suppose that I mean they're in a in a in a strange place. I guess they've been bad in the previous years, and yeah. their payroll is still rather low. But yeah. uh, they've made some investments both in Carlos Santana and and Arietta, Jake Arietta. That combined with I think that they must. They must have, I would have to think if you look at the variance and the possible outcomes for the Phillies, it must be among the highest in the yeah. league because they have a number of players like Reese Hoskins, Scott Kingery, J.P. Crawford, whose outcomes could be one of many different possibilities. Yeah, I think that's right. I was not surprised to see them. You you did pick them as your second wildcard team. Okay, yeah. I was not surprised to see them picking up some votes, you know, and, and they're in this sort of cool spot where they have, they have a lot of young guys with upside who might well outperform what we're expecting of them and then if that's true come july they might look around and be like well you know it would sure be nice to have jake arietta but they already have one so isn't that (laughs) handy you know i think uh when teams are in that sort of uh the beginning of that window of contention if we think that they are going to outperform i'm personally a fan know that sometimes you end up spending money before it makes maybe sense given where you are in your competitive window but I like it when teams kind of get the guy get a guy they think they're going to need on the chance that they are uh, somewhat ahead of schedule yeah so that they can take advantage of it in a way that is maybe a bit more thought out and not subject to the whims of the trade deadline and that market so I, I like it when teams do that. I think it's it tends to put them in a position to succeed 
when they maybe aren't being counted on to. And, you know, it's also nice for fans. It's nice for fans to get to watch baseball that's more competent. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a supporter, a booster of that philosophy, if you will. I'll ask you, I'm going to ask you about one more second baseman, then I will allow you to go. And uh, you and I also have uh, an appointment to record another podcast pertaining specifically to the Toronto Blue Jays. Yes, which is definitely something that I am very competent and qualified to do. <laughs> yes, it is the Pitch Talk Blue Jays podcast. Pitch Talk Blue Jays podcast. Those are, words, those are the exact words I will say yep. in a few moments. But I want to ask you about Yon Mankata. Oh, uh, yeah. Because he was another second baseman to whom you looked. And I think he's another player. He's a different kind of high floor player than others, than a sort about whom I tend to cover, for example, which are the, uh, what would be an example? They're all like, like essentially they're all like Martin Prado facsimiles, mm-hmm. right? Like Martin Prado, if he's on the field, like he's going to provide some sort of value because he has, he provides, you know, he's roughly like a scratch defender. Sure. And he makes enough contact that, it's hard for him to produce like a very lousy, like a very lousy offensive season. Yeah. So if he's healthy, then he's probably going to be fine, right? And that that's a that's one type of of high floor. Another type of high floor is the I think Byron Buxton also fits in this. It's it's for players who are so outrageously physically talented mm-hmm. that. Even if they don't hit particularly well, they can still they'll still be worth something just because of combination of you know fielding and base running, etc. But I, I'm interested in your your thoughts on Yuma Mankata. Where do you think? Um, I guess question. There's sort of the median of Mankata, the median possible outcome, and then the range of outcomes. Well, I think what I mean. I hope it's better than what they saw from him last year, right? So like the. I tend to not be, especially in this in this environment, tend to not be very fussed or not as fussed as I probably would be in the past on, on strikeout prone guys. But I think that there is a really wide range of outcomes they might have for him. I mean, he is not, like the, the contact was not quite what he would want it to be last year. I mean, he was striking out more than 30% of the time. And it was sort of accompanied by this concerning you know it wasn't like he's one of those guys that's hitting like 25 home runs while striking out a bunch right he was still he was making contact that wasn't going over the fence so I don't know I think it'll be better it seems like it's been it's been a bit better through the spring Mm -hmm. he actually uh I was taking a look at the very early exit velocity leaderboards and um, he's among I mean he's a giant person he's huge which (laughs) was why it was a bit weird last year that it wasn't you know that that power wasn't resulting in a bunch of home runs but I guess it he did okay I I maybe was thinking that he played in more games last year than he did yeah I suppose he hit he hit eight home runs just in the 54 games which is not amazing but it's not terrible either so I don't yeah. know I think it'll be fine and the good news for the White Sox is that they have time for it to be fine right like they're not needing him to be an all-star right this very minute in order for them to uh, contend in the postseason but I think that if he at the end of the year if we're like hey Yohan Makata had a really a terrific year and he's just making everyone on the south side of Chicago feel like the postseason is right around the corner he will probably you know make more considerably more contact than he did last year and probably also see his defense improve somewhat because um it was not especially sterling right last year yeah do you feel like i've sufficiently answered your question i go back and forth on him and how much i think the context stuff matters but i think 
you know, we're going to have like a whole year's more data this year. So we'll yeah. feel like we know a lot more. <laughs> I have a That's natural, a very cheap answer, but. It is very cheap. I, I have a natural bias against um, players who are physically talented, <laughs> which is not. <laughs> I just like you jerks. That's kind of my reaction is you're a jerk um, well, for having like, all those talent. Yeah. And it's more fun. I think there's something fun about players who put together a collection of like weird skills and somehow that's. It turns out to be a great baseball player. Yeah. And I think that there have been, at least at some point in the past, perhaps not as true at the moment, there have appeared to have been like, you know, because of the way that the five tools are arranged, Mm -hmm. they can seem equally important. Yeah. But hitting hitting the baseball is the most important one. Yeah. That's that's the thing that a player has to do. And so players like Mankata, for whom there are a ton of tools, but then the hit tool is the one... That you're that's worried about. Behind. Yeah. yeah. That to me is always a, is a it's red It's a red flag. flag for sure. But like, sorry, like with Buxton though. Yeah. Even if the hit tool doesn't like totally come around, like there is a lot else. There's a lot going on other besides it. Right. And I, and I think that's always been the thing that makes you a little nervous about Moncada, right? Is that it's not like his defense is going to carry him. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's true because he's, you know, he's playing at second base. He might actually, you know, he he's a different kind of second baseman. I think sure. sometimes... Sometimes people get stuck at second base. They get placed there because they're not doing anything else in the infield. And then, like, the next stop is left field. Yeah. So there's kind of a large drop-off. But he's a little bit different creature. He's he's very interesting. Fascinating. I guess that's also a cheap conclusion to me. Anyway, let's... let's, But he's... But hey, hold on. One thing to remember, though, is, you know, he is still very young. Mm -hmm. So... He's and the like I said, the team is like no one's picking the White Sox in the staff predictions. I hope that's actually true. I might be speaking out of turn, but I'm pretty confident no one picked them. Yeah, go for it. Uh, so you know, he's young and has time, and they're young and have time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's like he's like you said, he's such an athlete, such a giant human. Seems like it has to get better. Could Gotta be true. Better. Before. I say that you've fulfilled your obligation. Did you have any business words that we neglected to to consider? Oh, oh my! It's fine if you don't. I could tell you that the Dow Jones is down today. It is down today. I yeah. mean, I would be more worried about that if I were retiring tomorrow, yeah. but I'm not. So it's fine because I I'm not going anywhere. You'll be happy to know this is not a moment when I tender my resignation from Fangraphs. I'm trying to think of business words because I did have one. That's okay. It's all right. Uh, Let's not worry about it. We can worry about it next time. Tender is the resignation. No, Tender is the night by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Hey. Hey. Meg Rally, you have fulfilled your obligation to Fangraphs Audio. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. That is um, managing editor of the Hardball Times. Meg Rally, I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio.